Your friend wants to learn about your favorite band. They've never listened to them before. You want to show what the band is all about, so you build a playlist. But there's a catch. You only get to play five, five essential, essential tracks. tracks. I'm Ben. I'm Jacob. I'm Josh. I'm Joel. And these are the five essential tracks for the Beatles. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the very first episode of Five Essential Tracks. My name is Josh, and I am here with my three co-hosts, whom you'll meet in just a moment. I wanted to tell you a little bit about what the purpose of this show is and how it became uh, a thing. So my friend Jacob and I co-host another podcast you may have heard of called Somebody Else's Favorite Songs. And my brother Ben gave us an idea for an episode that ended up being a two-parter. And Jacob and Ben and my son Joel, uh, we got together and recorded that those two episodes and enjoyed it so much we thought it deserved its very own show. And we hope that you'll listen along and provide your feedback and give us a rating, all those good things that you do for podcasts as we talk about five essential tracks. Jacob? Well, we decided again, that it was such a strong concept. Episodes 39 and 40 of our show, Somebody Else's Favorite Songs, uh, that we recorded. And it came from Ben, actually. He came to Texas with an idea for a podcast, and we were all going to be here. And so we decided to talk about five tracks that are important as far as if you know somebody who has never heard of X artist, in this case, it's going to be the Beatles. What five songs can we give to them and say, okay, here you go. Here is everything you need to know about the Beatles in five songs. Yeah, I mean, everybody has their own favorite artists, and you have your own favorite tracks by by those artists. But uh, I was listening to a couple of, of artists that I enjoy, and I thought, you know what? This song is great, but if I wanted to to introduce someone to this artist, I don't think I would even mention this song, even though I love it. It doesn't really It doesn't really represent that artist. So then I started thinking, would, would it be interesting to do a podcast where you, you tried to package that artist and you only had five songs to do it? What would you consider? Uh, would you consider the, um, the charting of that song? Uh, perhaps any um, you know, Grammys that the, that the song won? Um, its place in pop culture, perhaps? Could you even do it? Could you pick five songs and, and sum up an artist that way? Um, so that other podcast was, it was a bit of a adventure to seeing how it worked. And I think it worked well, and I'm, I'm happy that we're doing this. Well, one aspect of that original concept that we are bringing over to this podcast is a bit of a caveat, uh, the red, green, and yellow light concept. I'm not sure where that came from. Whose idea was that? Oh, I think I presented it, um, you know, I've heard uh, other people kind of doing this similar fashion with uh, with with other other types of uh, topics. You know, uh, there's a lot of podcasts exploring lists of favorite television shows, or you know, vacation spots, or you know, what have you, uh, movies. Um, so it's not an original concept by any means. But you know, I haven't I haven't seen somebody doing this with with artists. So I thought maybe maybe this was a good approach. 
Joel, do you want to explain a little bit about the uh, the concept, the uh, the caveat that we bring to the table in this discussion? Absolutely. So you've mentioned the uh, green light, yellow light, and red light concept. So for example, if a song is presented and we each assign it a green light, once all four people have given it a green light, it locks it in on the list. It becomes one of five essential tracks. Another option that uh, each of us will have is what we call a yellow light. This basically says... It's a possibility, but I'm not ready to cement it into the, the five essential tracks just yet. So it kind of tables it for future discussion. And then perhaps the most interesting and the most powerful of the three options is the red light, which is an immediate and permanent veto of any given song. And all it takes is one. So any of the four of us can veto a song and completely eliminate it from uh, contention. So that's the green light, yellow light, red light system. And that's how uh, it will kind of work as we go through these artists and we present songs. Once we have our five essential tracks, the episode is over and there will be no more discussion. I should add that the episode will not be over until we all agree unanimously on five essential tracks for X artists. That's exactly right. It will have 20 green lit <laughs> options, five, <laughs> five songs and four green lights each. So that's the way this will work. We're going to start with the Beatles. And guys, let me just say I am absolutely thrilled and excited to, to kick this off. I am absolutely not the... thrilled about this. <laughs> I just want to start with a quick Google because I've actually never heard of this artist. And I kind of... <laughs> well, one thing I wanted to add to the general discussion about the format is one of the things that excites me about it is uh, that it, it there's two kind of ways you could go with it. Uh, obviously, with our with our our first run at it here, the Beatles, there are literally dozens of songs that'll be possible, and that will make for one kind of discussion. But I imagine at times we will do less popular artists and some of our personal favorites. And that will give us more of a uh, time to discuss uh, particular favorites and things like that. Um, and how perhaps we were introduced or something like that. Really the only thing that's off the table for something like this is there are some of those middle of the road bands that basically just have four or five songs that everybody knows. <laughs> and you could just say, well, these are the ones and, and be done with it. So there needs to be a little controversy. It either needs to be a lot of possibilities or very few possibilities um, on, on the extremes. And that's, that's what will, I think, make for the, the discussion. But again, it's the essential tracks as defined by what most exemplifies what this band or artist is about, what tells the story and the limitation of five tracks. So popularity may factor in, but at times it may not. So let's get started on the Fab Four, the Beatles. I don't know that it's particularly necessary for uh, there to be a lengthy introduction about the, the band, but in case you are one of those people who has never heard the Beatles, and they are out there, uh, the Beatles were a band from Liverpool and comprised of John Lennon, Paul McCartney, George Harrison, and Richard Starkey, a.k.a. Ringo Starr. And they first began making music together in the late 1950s, uh, secured a recording contract in 1962, released an album that was recorded all in one day for all practical purposes 
And pretty soon everybody was going insane and wild. And the term Beatlemania was coined and it went off uh, like a bomb from there. And by 1964, they came to the United States and immediately accomplished things like um, having the top five positions on Billboard in at the same time, and something like twelve records in the top in the top uh, one hundred. And they continued to release in a phenomenal amount of music uh, by volume. They just don't do it that way anymore. They would put out three albums a year and and three or four singles, uh, or two albums a year and three or four singles, and. They did this and had number one after number one after number one, both in singles and albums until 1970 arrived and they broke up and that was it. And 200, 213 songs later, I might add, that's how many songs they recorded. Yes. And basically when you, when you consider that the last album they recorded, Abbey Road was recorded in the summer of 1969 and the first recording was done in probably mid 62 you, in essence, have their entire catalog in seven years of work. And that is really, really hard to imagine because people will go seven years between album releases now. <clears throat> so, obviously, their influence is great. They they are the first at doing many, many things. And they are also extraordinarily diverse, not just from album to album, but even within some albums, and that presents my friends and co-hosts what I think is going to be the most difficult thing about this discussion. What is the Beatles' sound? What isn't the Beatles' sound? Yeah. that's a... They did rock. They did pop. They did country. Did they not? Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They did orchestral. There were songs. Uh, there were songs they recorded that had drums, guitars, and basses. There were songs that had only an orchestra or Indian, um, traditional Indian music, fiddles. I mean, what what did they do? Yeah, I I feel like you know I wanted to approach this, trying to get the spirit of all all four of them somewhere within these five songs, and I, I know that they all had different input into songwriting. Uh, but I, I'm trying to find five songs that will tell you everything you can about John, Paul, George, and Ringo. This is going to be tremendously difficult. I mean, this is a monumental task, not only because of the number of songs they recorded, the, the, the variations of all the sounds, but then you have different dynamics of, do you include Lennon McCartney songs? Do you include George Harrison? How many of each? Uh, not to mention the fact that I can probably easily speak for the four of us in that the Beatles might be the most important artist uh, or one of the most important um, bands uh, in all of the music we enjoy. I mean, I can say for myself that it's the whole reason that we're doing a podcast or that we did the first podcast was because of Beatles podcasts that that me and Josh were listening to, and it all just came from there. I mean... Uh, so important. It really does start with the Beatles. I mean, the Beatles are the reason I taught myself how to play the piano and wanted to teach myself how and ultimately up to a limited ability taught to play the guitar. Um, it was the Beatles and getting my hands on the Beatles sheet music and learning how to play chords and to 
you know, figure out and hunt out melodies and things on, on a, on a keyboard. They were the reason for that. And that's what we kind of grew up doing. Yeah. And I can echo those sentiments as well. And I kind of chuckled when you talked about the Beatles sheet music, because right behind me, I have my piano and on it is a Beatles songbook. I so see that. <laughs> even to this, to this day, the Beatles on the piano or the Beatles on guitar it's I mean, they're always they're always there, but it's going to be a, a tremendous challenge considering uh, the Beatles had 21 songs hit number one in the Hot 100. So to whittle that down to five songs and we we may have some that weren't necessarily, uh, you know, number one hits. We they might all be number one hits. I don't know. But that just speaks to the longevity and the level of success that they had between 1962 and 1970. I like the idea that that Ben uh had for his approach. And that is to try to showcase the members of the band. One of the things that I wanted to do along with trying to, to show different eras, even though the eras came basically in single year increments was to definitely try to show them as a band and not, at least from my perspective for, for the ones I'm going to suggest, not so much as a performer and these are the guys that are backing behind him. So there are some songs that I didn't really consider uh, because they might basically be a solo song. One that I don't think anybody will put up, but as an example, is on the the White Album is a track called Julia. It's a great song, and it is a John Lennon solo number. So I wouldn't consider it because it's not really telling the Beatles story. That's Yeah, that's very fair. All right, so any other any other thoughts uh, before we jump into this and start nominating songs? Um, I do want to say something, and I'll probably mention it again at the end, that each episode I we plan on having an accompanying playlist on Spotify that we will link to. Um, I intend for us to have every song that that each of us puts forward officially, whether whether it's green, yellow, or red light, I intend to have those in a playlist just as a companion piece. We're not going to be playing the music in the episode proper as we do in our other podcast. And so probably the five tracks we greenlight will be at the top. And then after that, everything else will be anything else we've discussed. So I just wanted to mention that. All right. Well, since I did the introduction, um, I'll go ahead and start and uh, I'm going to see how long it takes us for somebody to actually say green light, because I have a suspicion that these boys are going to want to yellow everything. So (laughs) why wouldn't we? Why wouldn't we, though? All right. So I'll go with Her Majesty from Abbey Road. (laughs) She's a pretty nice girl. She doesn't have a lot to say, especially not now. Okay. Um, Ouch. Too soon. (laughs) Hmm. All right, the first song I'm going to put up was actually the first song that I thought of, and it accomplishes a few things that I'll get into later if, if in, in fact, it gets greenlit or I'm making a case for it if I need to. But the this is a song that is on my short list of contenders for the greatest record ever made, and that is uh, a single, what I mean by that when I say record. And there's about four or five songs that I kind of keep in uh, in my holster for what I think are, is the best record ever made. Um, one of those, and maybe my favorite, is um, At Last by Etta James. Another is Good Vibrations by the Beach Boys. And another is this, the first huge hit in England from the Beatles, She Loves You. 
All right, she loves you. There, there you go. We're on the board. <laughs> well, I want to... We can still discuss she loves you, but I feel like right alongside that, I was going to say I want to hold your hand. And so for me, it would probably be one of those two if we're going to talk about one of five. So I'm going to go ahead and put that one forth as well. Mm-hmm. We could also put the German version on there. Come give me Donna Hind if we want. And or she lived it. Yes. <laughs> yeah, could be. So I, I choose, um, and I Want to Hold Your Hand is obviously a very important song. That's the song that, that broke them through in the U.S., but it was She Loves You that broke them in Britain. And I think just from a music criticism standpoint, as I'm going to make my case here, I think She Loves You is a better song. And the energy behind that record and what it does to really do, like Ben was talking about, and kind of showcase all of them. You've got John and Paul's, and to a lesser extent, George's singing. You've got George's fills on the guitars. Ringo's roll right into the song and his lazy, high, open hi-hat uh, swinging. Uh, it just, the energy behind it, the woos, the yeah yas. Um, I just think it's a superior song to to I Want to Hold Your Hand. I've always thought about uh, I Want to Hold Your Hand and She Loves You as kind of companion pieces together. Me too. Kind of. Me too. I, oftentimes I found if I listen to one, I listen to the other. They go along so well together. Uh, they She Loves You has sold more copies. I don't know if that is of import to, to this consideration. Uh, she Loves You is their best-selling single. Uh, latest figures say that uh, roughly it sold just under 2 million copies She Loves You has. So that's, that's quite a number. Yeah, and both songs, um, Roger McGuinn of the Birds said that uh, She Love You, She Loves You kind of introduced the, uh, uh, the folk chord changes into, into rock music. So it was kind of a, a new genre. So if you're, when you're making a list like this and, you know, you have a song that creates a whole genre, you might want to consider putting it on that list. And yet it's um, very much a dance record too. Yeah. It, amazing. Yeah, that's true. Um, the composition of the song is really interesting too, that, that starting it off with that hook, like you go right into the hook instead of the verse, like you would normally do in a pop song. Um, and there's no bridge. It's just meat and potatoes, but it starts with the meat. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's very well said. So do we want to start the voting? Well, you know what? I've... I'm easily swayed in this situation. I, you know what? I'm happy to give this a green light. I don't see why it shouldn't be on the on the list. In a shocking turn of events, I will give it a third green light as this was actually going to be the first song that I was going to present as well. I think that from their early work, this is something that someone who is not familiar with the Beatles really needs to hear. And yeah. Like Ben said, it kind of started a genre which I think you could argue the Beatles did several times in that eight year span that they were releasing music. It seems like several genres were either really pushed forward or maybe even uh, the foundation was laid for something completely new by the Beatles. So I'm going to give that a green light as well. Well, how about that? Yeah, I'm pleased. Uh, I'm pleased to report that 20% of our work is done here today. All right. Yay. Well, there was bound to be one, maybe two, that are going to be easy. I feel like I'm. It's a very comfortable place to begin with. She loves you. Um, are we okay with red lighting? I want to hold your hand just simply because of the similarities. Yes. 
Well, I mean, I guess we don't have to red light it. We can just leave it on yellow and just say leave it at that. Okay. Okay. A, a red light to me is like a really dastardly concept. <laughs> it's, a, it's a dirty thing that red light. <laughs> wow. But but sometimes it must be done, like when yeah, Joel in episode uh, episode forty of uh, somebody else's favorite songs gave an automatic red light to "Every Breath You Take" by uh, by the Police, which I hardly agreed with, even though the Police was my artist. Sometimes I came it must be it done. Fast. His reasoning was good. His reasoning was good. Uh, all right, Ben, put put a song forward for us. Okay, well, the purpose of my turn, I'd, I'd love to turn you on. Oh, sorry, we're still talking about uh, the Beatles, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> and it's the song that has the chord, you know, the, the, the four pianos, probably the most memorable end to any, any pop song. Uh, and we can't go through this podcast without picking a Sgt. Pepper song because it's Sgt. Pepper's. So uh, I'm going to say A Day in the Life. Um, it's probably the first song that I thought of. Um, one of my favorite tracks, one of the, the most interesting songs, its composition with the technology at the time, so interesting. Yeah. Uh, and of course, it finishes just a, a, a masterful album, one of, if not the best album, rock album ever made. A Day in the Life is very often at the top of the list for their greatest compositions. That that it usually is right up there and is often number one. And it is an example of something that John and Paul did uh, from time to time. And that was take two different songs and find an interesting way to put them together to create one full composition. And sometimes that ended up being... Uh, just two separate movements that are stuck together on something like Baby or a Rich Man. And other times it ended up being something that they could sing over the top of each other, like I've Got a Feeling. In, in this case, it's the former, where you've got two uh, completely different sections and then a repeat of the first section, John's section, uh, at the end. And the very bizarre idea of getting uh, an orchestra in and just telling them, okay, when we get to the end of John's part, we've got a, I think it's like a 24 measure hole here. And everyone in here is to start at their lowest note on their instrument and go to their highest note on their instrument over the course of that time. But don't match the person next to you. Make sure you're not playing what they play. And of course, the the result is that the cacophonous, uh, ever crescendoing orchestra swell that is honestly kind of frightening and nobody else has ever done before or since. So I don't think you can have the discussion without a, a day in the life. Um, and while I'm not ready to, uh, I'm not ready to, well, I'm, I'm going to green light a day in the life because I can't, I don't think you can not have it. It's kind of funny where we've now gotten two. Those were the, actually what y'all have selected were the first two songs I had on my list to present. Uh, I think A Day in the Life, I, and a lot of people would agree with this, is the Beatles' quote-unquote best song they ever did. I, I think it's absolutely phenomenal piece of work. Uh, it was banned in the UK for a while, interestingly enough. for Right about, right at five years, uh, it was banned from the radio due to possible references to drugs. 
big shocker there. <laughs> possible, possible, possible. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I think uh, Day in the Life is uh, worthy to be on the list. And in a shocking turn of events, I will give the second selection a green light as well. I'm going to have to be the one to pump the brakes on this. I'm going to give this a yellow. I think we need. I think we need more discussion. We need to see what else comes up. As is your right. <laughs> he has spoken. But it is going on the playlist as it has been put forward. <laughs> so. All right. Well, very, very good. Um, anybody else want to say anything about uh, a day in the life that we haven't said yet? Well, you mentioned uh, the combining of a lot of different songs. Uh, I always w- want to throw my favorite of those songs in there, which it will probably not be mentioned, but is a really fine piece of work. And that is happiness is a warm gun. Also separate songs that they all combined and three separate three, songs, three at least songs. by John, by John, all by John. That's correct. And, uh, and let yeah. me just say something. I actually was going to suggest it. Wow. Okay. Well, I'm sorry for stealing your thunder on that. <laughs> you you didn't. I don't think it's going to get passed, but since you brought it up, I won't revisit it later. I am a huge White Album fan. I think that the best track on the White Album is Happiness is a Warm Gun, and I was listening to it again today and just thinking of it as a rock song and how odd and unique and heavy it is at times. And I knew it was a song that they worked really hard on in a band environment. And so not really expecting it to get through. If I'm making a list, it's a song I want somebody to hear uh, for for that era of, of the Beatles and what they're doing as a band. So I may not even ask you to vote for it, but I was going to put it up. <laughs> well, it, it's worthy of at least mentioning because, I mean, like you said, it is at the very least in the discussion for the best song on the white album. It's really a phenomenal, phenomenal work. And I misspoke. It's four, it's four songs put together. Wow. Well, and you, you talk about the white album being a lot of, a lot of, uh, John doing his thing, Paul doing his thing, George doing his thing, but happiness is a warm gun is really a, a, the Beatles effort. I mean, it is a true band effort, so it, it, it yeah. would deserve to be discussed. Certainly. And added to, several, added to the playlist, I might yeah, add. Yes, yes. Uh, and there are several songs on the White Album that, I mean, the narrative is is somewhat true, but there are a lot of good band tracks on the White Album. I mean, you could make you could make a, a, a disc of 12 to 15 songs that are band songs. Well, in as much as uh, by that time, John wasn't really playing on any of George's songs anyway and didn't for the last basically two to three years. Uh, but yeah. If if you don't know it and you're just a casual Beatles fan, it, it it's an amazing record. But anyway, so especially considering the the turmoil within the band at that time, for them to come together and be able to come together right, right now, now and be able to <laughs> over me and and the different rhythms and the different time signatures and be able to put that that song together, it's it is astounding. <laughs> yeah, it's. White Album is amazing, and I'll, and I'll shift gears before I throw my song out there. I know in the the last time we did this, we 
when there was a little trivia thing you could do to ask the group we did. So I'll throw in a little trivia question. I would guarantee you at least one, if not all of you know the answer to this, but back to a day in the life. Does anyone know exactly how long that final chord is sustained? For our I, trivia question I, it's, of the it's episode. A, it's a long dang time. I'm going to say 65 seconds. The answer, and I'm surprised that you didn't have have this ready to roll. The answer is 42 seconds. Okay. The the last mm. chord of a day in the life will ring out for 42 seconds. So. And I do know if you put on headphones and listen as it gets to the end of that chord and starting to decay, they've got the faders up so high you can hear somebody's piano bench squeaking yes. as they move on it. That's also true. Mm-hmm. So, and yeah, that was that, pianos played by George Martin, John Paul, and Ringo, I believe. Well, there you go. All four. Get everybody in there. And George, obviously, maybe not playing yeah. the piano, but pretty prominent in some parts of that as well. So for my song, I guess we've A Day in the Life has been yellowed. So we're, we're still at one song. I'm going to suggest uh, the song that had the longest run on the charts of all the Beatles singles. Uh, spent 23 weeks on the charts, uh, so nearly half a year. And that is Hey Jude, one of their later outputs. A song that just about everybody knows or has at least heard. You'll be hard-pressed to find someone who doesn't know Hey Jude. So that's going to be the one that I put forward for my first uh, my first offering. Of course, a Paul McCartney song um, written as an encouragement to John's son, Julian, Hey, as Jules. his parents were splitting it up. Yes, as his parents were, were splitting up. And it became an, an anthem. It's a seven-plus-minute song, over half of which is the chanting na-na-na-na, Hey Jude chorus, and Paul's vocal improvisations. Uh, it came at a time in 68. Uh, 68 is a huge year of turmoil. A lot of things going on politically, a lot of violence uh, Robert Kennedy and Martin Luther King are assassinated. Um, and it, uh, the flip side of that record really speaks to those times uh, in, in one way or another, depending on how John felt when he was singing it at the time. But as Paul is wont to do, he comes out with a different kind of anthem to take a sad song and make it better. And it's unquestionably a, a, a classic uh, track. And like you were mentioning, it's in the throes of all kinds of turmoil, the Vietnam War, uh, and that's obviously it has substantial chart success, uh, but it also has substantial uh, cultural uh, prominence as well. And so that's for those reasons, that's why I've decided to go with this one for my first my first go. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I like it as a pick. Um, One other thing I would add, uh, similar to my. um, my input on happiness is a warm gun abandoned turmoil. And then what do you get minutes of them all singing? Na 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 together united, even in turmoil, making a product that's just without comparison this many decades later. And there was that, uh, of course, the promotional film they did where everybody is there all together. Uh, Paul McCartney on piano, John with guitar. And uh, then all the crowd just kind of gathers around them and, you have that refrain. That's a uh, that's memorable as well for this. Uh, David Frost show, I believe. Yes. And if I'm not mistaken, it was that recording, after a long period that they were no longer touring and playing live, 
that encouraged the get back sessions and let it be. Oh yes. It yes. was that performance that, that kind of pushed them to do the get back sessions, which of course was a really significant part of, I think a lot of people's 2021 <laughs> oh, yes. when the get back yes. documentary came out. So absolutely. But it was that performance with Hey Jude that kind of encouraged really Paul, I think was the one that brought, uh, wanted to really do more live yeah. stuff. And it was because of that promotion with Hey Jude. Hey Jude is an example of when Paul is good, he's really, really good. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a green light for me. Yeah. I, I did have this on my short list. Um, I think it needs to go on. It's getting uh, uh, getting the Verde from me. Jacob's about to yell. Do I do I have <laughs> do I have to be the one? Listen, we only have if we greenlight Hey Jude, we only have three more. Well, so just remember it, that. Well, I, underst- I understand. We're getting the easy that, ones but, out early. <laughs> if it's if it's on my list, like I made my list, and then I checked off the five I would pick then I already know that's one I think should be there. So I'm not going to yellow it just for the sake of discussion. Mm. But you do what you want. <laughs> as I said, as is I, your as right. I love Hey Jude, but I am going to make it bad by giving it a yellow light. Listen, Hey Jude, as is, hey your Jude right. is probably not in my top 20 favorite Beatles songs. But that's not no, really probably relevant not for me either. Just it behooves us to wait until we we have more discussion because these picks are going to go very quickly. I'm not. not I'm in- not saying. I'm not saying I disagree. I mean, I'm just saying. <laughs> All right. I'm gonna. All I'm right. gonna. As I'm gonna take right. the cautionary uh, stance on this. Okay, so we've each uh, we've each thrown one out, and we have. She loves you in. I want to hold your hand a day in the life and hey Jude on yellow for the moment. Um, yes, and happiness is a warm gun was put forward, although not for serious discussion. It's still on the list of, of things we've talked about in general. Yeah, I mean, I, I honestly was going to put it forward, but um, instead... I'm sorry for that. Um, no, don't be sorry. I, that doesn't matter. Um I do think that it should go on our companion playlist. It is though. it is already there. Okay, um, excellent. Yeah, so in in listing in listing through just a little bit, and I didn't do a lot of prep for this. I mean, we've mentioned it on our other show before. The Beatles are not something that we have to listen to very much because they are ingrained in our music consciousness. Um, in, in so much as every time they've released a new master or even the remixes that have been coming out. You know, we, we hear those and we hear everything that's different because we're so familiar with the recordings. Um, but that also can make it uh, difficult to recall how amazing and impressive they are. I almost wish I could go back and hear some of that for the first time. I agree. And mm-hmm. one of the records that I think is going to have to be on on this list and really both sides of this single should be on this list, but there's no way we're going to pick them both. Um, I think one of these, I'm talking about a single from 1967. One of these two songs I think is the better, the better song from a songwriting standpoint. And one of them I think is a better recording and experience. And that's the one I'm going to put forward. I'm talking about John Lennon's strawberry fields forever. And of course, you're referring to its companion, Penny Lane. 
as songs that uh, Paul and John both wrote about. I believe something from their childhood yes. was kind of their their theme for those. And I agree with the sentiments that you just said. I I also prefer Penny Lane. In fact, uh, you happiness is a warm gun to my head. I <laughs> I might would call call Penny Lane maybe my favorite Beatles song. If not, it's certainly it, up it's there. It's the bang, best. Bang bang, shoot shoot me. I, I, I think it's the best song <laughs> Paul ever wrote. We won't go into why that is now because we're not discussing it. Sure. But it is a brilliant piece of music. Um, but of course, Strawberry Fields Beato. was. <laughs> Strawberry Fields was, uh, or Strawberry Field actually was an orphanage next door um, to where John grew up at Mendips in his Aunt Mimi and Uncle George's house and a place that he used to go and sneak off to um, in the gardens there. And so he put this song together and it really has a, a fine, a fine lyric, um, of the two songs, Sergeant Pepper, or excuse me, uh, Strawberry Fields has the stronger lyric um, than Penny Lane, but Penny Lane is a superior piece of music, um, but it's very, very close. So just for, for those who may not know, um, they recorded Strawberry Fields many, many times. And John had part of one version he liked and part of another. And he told George Martin, their producer, uh, probably the fifth Beatle, uh, put the two together. And yeah, make it, make it happen, make it work. And, and George Martin said, well, John, they're in different tempos and in different keys. And he said, we well, make it work. You can do it, make it work. And so he found that by speeding up one a little bit and slowing down another a little bit, that the keys would be almost imperceptibly the same, attach the two together and boom. The key of A half sharp, I believe, yeah, is yeah. what it is. <laughs> the key of an infuriating thing for us piano players to play along the Strawberry Fields because you can't do it for that reason. <laughs> but it's it's a good song to highlight George Martin absolutely because this is this is why he's the fifth Beatle. Uh, you know. The the cello and trumpet arrangement, which you can hear very clearly on one of the takes that you hear on Beatles Anthology is just just beautiful that this the cello just the, his whole part his whole arrangement on that song for the cello and just trumpet is just incredible genius and a, and a great ringo song yes yeah yeah ringo's touches on strawberry fields are incredible and i say that with the full understanding that there's two verses he doesn't even play on and we mentioned the uh way the beatles kind of spurned and put forth new genres I mean, when you're talking about psychedelic music, this is a song I really think is a foundation to that particular genre of music. And important to be noticed, be, or noted because they started recording on it in 66. So it really was ahead of the 1967 thing. Absolutely. And one of my favorite parts of, Straw of Strawberry Fields Forever, uh, we haven't mentioned it, but uh, I love how basic and simple and how 60s the Mellotron is. And I think it is such a beautiful and perfect part of this song. And I, I mean, it just fits the song perfectly. The Mellotron flute sounds. Interestingly enough, there's a video. I think it's from the Beatles first U.S. visit video where um, I think it's John. I think it's John that has some sort of little keyboard that he's doodling around on. And the he's Mellotron. actually playing 
the part from the Mellotron that they would use for Strawberry Fields Forever. So he had been kicking that around for like four years, hmm. um, three or four years. Uh, that's interesting. Uh, the other little thing I'll say for those of you who maybe did not know that this recording was two different songs put together, I'll tell you where that link up happens and go back and listen to it. And you'll never hear the song again the same way, but it's not, he starts out the song. Let me take you down. Cause I'm going to, uh, not that time, but the, after the first part, when he says it again, let me take you down. Cause I'm, and then it cuts and on going to that's the second recording. And that's the moment that it happens. Yeah. The, the one other thing I wanted to add, and then we can, we can open up the voting. Uh, when we're talking about songs that required all five Beatles, uh, the lead guitar part, uh, Harrison's playing these arpeggios and, and John had trouble getting them down. So they, George was necessary to compose this song because they couldn't have done it without him. Yeah. And I, I particularly like his guitar work in the outro. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Set against the cello and in, in trumpet work yeah. the cellos. Uh, I put it forward obviously. So it's easy green for me. Yeah. And I'm I'm going green on it as well. I'm <laughs> I'm all green so far. This is turning out to be a lot less controversial than maybe we anticipated. But that's because there's so many great songs and for I think ultimately this song's going to make it especially considering like you mentioned the fifth beetle concept which is hotly debated. I had talked about for fun. Who's the real fifth beetle? <laughs> but I think obviously the the best answer is is George Martin obviously. But uh I mentioned earlier that they had 21 number one hits. This was not one of them. And I said, maybe one of our five songs would not be a number one song. And Strawberry Fields Forever did not top number one in the, in the United States. Peaked at number eight. But for now, I will yellow it. Do you know what artist kept Penny Lane and Strawberry Fields Forever from being number one in Britain? Probably something stupid. Engelbert Hupperdink. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> It, dude, don't spoil stupid. episode two. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Five essential listens. Engelberg Humperdinck. Five essential dinks. Yeah, that'll really that'll really bring him back to the, the hook. Will really bring him back to that one. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So we've got a I'll, yellow on I'll that yellow for now. That one. All right, uh, Jacob. That's interesting. I thought Joel was gonna green light it, and then I would get to be a little sheepish, and then I would say, "Okay, yeah, I'll give it a green light." But uh, it turns out that I'm not the one. Holding oh, it up. That, that was close. that was on my list. Uh, that's an that's an easy choice. We already got something that is early, you know, that really kickstarted them, and now we have something that shows off something entirely different. They've come they've come so far in four years at time, you know, or really even less than that, honestly. So yes, it has to be there for me. Okay, so I'm the only yellow on this one. Yes. Yes, indeed. All right. Uh, awesome. All right, Jacob, what you got? So I was, um, I was not sure what Ben was going to say. He, he picked a day in the life. He started by mentioning the chord, you know, the chords. Oh, uh, the, the chord. The, the pianos, <laughs> E major. He went, he went on and talked about the piano and E major. And so I, he, he wasn't going to pick. He wasn't going to pick this song. I'm about to pick. But uh, there's two faithful chords in Beatles history, in my view. One of them is the E major on however many pianos in A Day in the Life. And the other one is that weird chord, whatever it is, to open up A Hard Day's Night. 
and that is going to be uh, my, uh, I guess that's my second, um, my second suggestion for this list would be A Hard Day's Night. And there's, there's much conjecture over, over that chord that everybody can, everybody can point out, but um, it seems to be that it could be any number of things. But of course, this comes from uh, their movie, A Hard Day's Night. Uh, this is from 1964, so this is earlier as well. Uh, but uh, really, for the chord alone, I think it deserves to be on this list. It's kind of not too early, but, you know, because for me, I'm thinking about it in a way chronologically. We want to go from one to five and kind of go through the years. And so this is my this is my second increment in that march through, uh, through time is A Hard Day's Night. And you mentioned that opening chord and how it's kind of debated. Uh, in 2001, someone asked George Harrison about the chord. And it's kind of funny because his response leads me to believe that not even maybe the members of the band knew exactly no, what the chord was because they asked George Harrison what the chord was and he responded, and I quote, it's an F with a G on top, but you'll have to ask Paul about the bass note to get the proper story. So <laughs> it is even debated amongst the band exactly what the chord was. So we did finally get an answer, though, and it's not really that com- uh, uncommon for the Beatles themselves not to know what they did or were doing. <laughs> that's that's yes. fair. <laughs> but um, uh, Randy Backman from Backman Turner Overdrive and the Guess Who um, was fortunate enough at at one time to be in Abbey Road Studios. I think it was with George Martin. And uh, they gave him the opportunity to listen to the multi-tracks. And they he actually isolated all the parts of this chord and figured out exactly what it was. And if you go to YouTube and search Randy Backman, A Hard Day's Night um, chord, you will find one of the greatest audio it's not a video, it's just audio, but one of the greatest videos I've ever heard in my life because he explains how it's done and then his band plays the chord and it is exactly right. And we, the only way he was able to do that was to go back and actually pull the chord apart in the studio. We actually put that in the podcast and somebody else's favorite songs. I can't remember the context or, or what episode, but we, we put it in there. It's really a great piece of audio. And uh, it really, you can, you can hear the wonder in his voice when he, when his, when the band finally plays the chord and the audience goes wild because it, it gives it's, you it's unmistakable, you know, it's, um, not to mention what, or to go along with what Joel said, uh, George Harrison had uh, an idea about it, but it's also been described as G7 add nine sus four or G7 sus four or G11 sus four. And to all that, I say Beato. But it's very complicated. Which all of that at the time of when they were doing it probably would have been nothing but hieroglyphics to the actual Beatles. Oh, yes. Yeah, it's exactly right. Absolutely. Only George Martin would have understood any of that. So the one thing that I'll add is it's the song, it's the album, and it's also the film. All three. Very, very influential and I think that has to be included when you when you when you talk about the song. Hmm. I didn't think about that. That is a real good point. Not to mention the title, you know, "A Hard Day's Night." Kind of a weird play on words. It actually it was actually inspired by Ringo, too. Yes, so, one of his many then, funny sayings. You also have the classic uh, John verse Paul uh, middle section or middle eight, 
as well. So you have that that play between Lennon and McCartney as well. Mm-hmm. Well, here was my concern. We now have five songs that Ben has greenlit. <laughs> so his, I guess his list is over. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to yellow this one, but I do appreciate the pop culture relevancy of it. Uh, as a space nerd, I this song was used as a wake up on some of the space shuttle missions, which I think is a total nerd out piece of pop culture history for a hard day's night. But I, I'm going to yellow it for now. Table it. Because I think there's at least a few a few more that need to be talked about. But like I said, we've got a point where Dad, I think you may have greenlit five songs already as well. I don't think so. <laughs> no, I okay. didn't greenlight that one. Oh, that's true. I apologize. I'm going to yellow it. Uh-huh. Technically, I, I didn't either. I didn't vote yet. <laughs> no, nobody. Oh. Nobody's voted. I mean, yes. Oh, I, I'm sorry. I, I'm jumping the gun. But I was going to give it jumping a the happiness is a war. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Well, the way you were talking, I would would have been shocked if you had not. So the vote, I guess, is two two. I have not voted. Oh well, okay. So you've been. But sheepish. it's not necessary. You're you're, you're being coy. Sure. I mean, but... it's not necessary. There's a oh, yellow. it's necessary. You must. No, no, vote. you must. You must register a vote. I'm 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 going to go yellow on a hard day's night. Although Ben almost persuaded me in talking about how it ties in with the movie and everything, you do get some George Martin there too, as he. Um, uh, really influenced that solo, um, you know, uh, he slowed it down so George could play it because it was so fast. And then he doubled it on the piano to get that unique, um, that unique sound. So again, George Martin, but yeah, yellow for me for the time being on that one. All right, Ben. Okay. I'm going to go against Everything I said was the point of this podcast, <laughs> and I'm going to put forward a song that um, I think it's important when you're when you're talking about this band. You don't fit. You don't forget the guitarist, and he didn't have a in a ton of songs that were just solely written by him. But I, I feel like I feel like we need a George song on the list of five. I, I couldn't introduce that. someone to the Beatles and not not have a George song. Um, there is a big the one that comes I'm, to mind. Well, I'm going to put forward "Here Comes the Sun." Thank you. Well, um, the problem with that is John Lennon did not contribute to the song, <laughs> so I'm picking a song that only had three of the Beatles on it. But I don't but think it matters. Me, but. <laughs> I would like to mention, though, since you mentioned it, I was going to actually pick this later, but that is actually the most streamed Beatles song on Spotify. Here come, here comes the sun has nearly a billion plays. So, it's a genius piece of work. It on is. an of album, course, I mean, all these songs are, yeah. <laughs> on an album with two pieces of genius, and again, John was really not contributing to any of George's songs at this point, mm-hmm. um, at all. Here Comes the Sun, written in Eric Clapton's garden, strolling around with an acoustic guitar, um, a riff that he would uh, take a variation on and, and write a song called Badge and Give to Cream, and a riff that Eric Clapton would later be revisiting on Bad Love. I mean, it's just a little bit different, but it's all from this base of George's picking on Here Comes the Sun. And man, it's brilliant. But the most brilliant part to me is that middle part, sun, 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 here it comes, 
which mm-hmm. is alternating measures of 11, 8, 4, 4, and 4, 4, and then 11, 8, 4, 4, and 4, 4. It's, it's wild and it's fantastic. Yeah, just the, just the, the, the time change, the meter change is imperceptible. You don't even think about it. When you go back, it's confusing when you put it in those terms, but it just it flows so naturally. And not to mention the uh, he he flips the the song around. Here comes the sun, and then sun, sun, sun. Here it comes. That's kind yeah. of cool to me as well. I Brilliant. think it's the best thing he ever wrote. With apologies to something. Wow. I think, wow. Don't yeah. Don't. I, wow, I think here comes the sun's the best lofty. thing he ever wrote. Wow. Wow. I mean, it's certainly it's certainly in that group. No doubt about it. It was my I, next I think pick. something I think something is the greatest love song that's ever been written. So I don't know. Maybe <laughs> it's ooh man. So Frank Not Sinatra the guitar work. Frank ooh. Sinatra said it was the best love song of the uh, last fifty years. Of course he also said it was a Linda McCartney song, so <laughs> <laughs> Well, considering his he blood sure alcohol yeah. concentration was in the double digits, I will give him a pass. I mean he was awake when he said it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned "Here Comes the Sun" because, like you said, it's it's the most streamed song by the Beatles on Spotify. It speaks to it speaks to every generation of, of people. Everyone knows "Here Comes the Sun," and we joke around and we talk about the Spotify streams, but it really is a pretty good uh, marker for what are people listening to now, now, because Spotify users are mostly Gen Xers and and younger. Right. would have been people who didn't grow up contemporarily with the, with the music contemporarily with the music. So I think that it is a good way to say, okay, what have people continued to listen to and what is still culturally significant? And here comes the sun is the most culturally significant song just by that metric. It was my next selection and it gets a green light for me because it was definitely on my list. I I'm going to also green light. Here comes the sun uh, for the reasons that we've already mentioned that. I do think it belongs on the list. A George song does go on the list. There's a few that you could throw out as possibilities, but like y'all have said, I think this is the best one because it is one of, if not the best thing that he ever wrote. I had it on my list and I wholeheartedly agree with everything you said. It is deserving. Hey! All right. Well, now we, we are 40% of the way done. <laughs> We have Now She Loves You, and Here Comes the Sun. We have, by my count, uh, we've we've discussed at least more than in passing nine songs already. And from that, yes, as Joel said, we have two green lights. She Loves You from the beginning, and Here Comes the Sun from the end, as it were. There you go. Yeah, we have one of their earliest songs, and then one off of their at least latest recorded not latest release, yes. obviously, with Let It Be coming after Abbey Road release-wise. But yeah, that's that's kind of funny. We've kind of bookended their catalog here with a Lennon McCartney and a, a George Harrison song beginning and end. So that's really interesting, the way that's worked. I think that brings us to a point where um, it is it is evident that this is not going to be able to be contained in one show. And I think that brings us to a nice point to take uh, to take a break and return in the next episode to finish this out. I don't think most of these are going to be this long. I think many of them um, will be in the 30-minute range. But if we have two hours of discussion on the Beatles, 
of of course we will, you know? So I think at this point, this is a good time for us to, to step aside and say that we will see you next time. And we will return with part two of our episode five essential tracks from the Beatles. Thank you for joining us for five essential tracks. Another podcast from breath productions. You can find us almost anywhere podcasts are enjoyed. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please be sure to subscribe and leave a rating and review. Visit us on Facebook at 5 Essential Tracks for show updates and links to our episode companion playlists on Spotify. As I said earlier, we will not finish an episode until we all agree on 5. Join us again next week for Episode 1, Part 2 of 5 Essential Essential Tracks. Tracks.